Hello, welcome to Sheffield Board Gamers official podcast. This is episode one. Uh, my name is Rick, and I'm joined today by Tom. Hello, Tom. Hello, Rick. And I'm also joined by a very special guest as well, Tom Lovell from uh, Redwell Games. Hello, Tom. Hi, Rick. Hi, Tom. Good to have you on. We are a Sheffield Board Game Club, and we meet up every Tuesday and Wednesday evening. And we also meet on the first Sunday of every month as well. And anyone can come and join us and play some games with us. We play all kinds of different games. And one of the games that we've played recently is at the club is Yamatai. Uh, Yamatai is a medium weight game where you're kind of collecting boats and then putting them on a board and getting points. And then the game is uh, basically played for points. So uh, we played it a four-play game, I think it was. And uh, you get, there's a big board in the middle of the, middle of the table, which has loads of islands on it. And then in between the islands are little pathways where you can put ships. So what you do is you uh, pick one of the... There's some tiles at the bottom that have got like a turn order number on them. So you uh, you can pick up the turn order of which one which one you want. That'll also give you a couple of chips as well. Uh, so the more powerful the card is, the tile that you pick, the later it goes in the turn order. So you might pick up a one, but it might only have a one chip on it. And then you might pick up a, a 10, for example, and that might have a couple of ships and it might have a special action on it as well. So that, that'll that get you some ships, wooden ships that you can collect uh, in different colours. And then uh, what happens is you can buy another one if you want an extra one. You can also save them from round to round as well. And then basically what you're doing is you're putting the ships on this board following the pathways. And that will collect you tokens... Uh, and in between these islands, the, uh, where you can build buildings as well, there's some buildings you can build. You have to pay to put the buildings on. Uh, the buildings will get you points. There are also some special characters at the top as well. You can turn in a couple of tokens to get some special characters, and they will give you like special abilities for the rest of the game. It, it looks really nice. It's a really well designed game. The art and everything's beautiful. It plays two to four players. The designer is Bruno Cathala and Mark Paquin. And it takes between 40 and 80 minutes, depending on the number of players. I, I liked this one. I really liked it. It's a, it's a kind of medium weight game. So there's there's quite a few actions that you can do on your turn. Uh, there's quite a lot of options that you've, that you've got. You can decide which you know where you want to build your buildings on these islands. Uh, there's the colours of tokens that you can pick up. You can use the, to get characters. There's all, all kinds of different ways of getting points. There's all kinds of different ways of getting special actions as well. So there are some on the turn order tiles that give you a, a special action for the turn that you're on, and also the characters give you special actions as well. So there's a, there's a lot there's a lot a lot of options that you can that you can go through. Quite a few different strategies as well. So you can like go for loads of buildings, or you can go for the characters. The characters also get you points as well. Um, you can concentrate on building ships, and then the directions that ships go as well is important because you can head to, towards like different kinds of islands. Uh, some have mountains on. And when you build on the mountains, you get a different kind of building, which gets you more, more points. So that's another way to score points. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it. It took us maybe 90 minutes to play it. It was first time for I think most of us who played it. And uh, yeah, it was a good. It was a good game. I, I liked all the different options that you had, all, all the different ways they can pick up points. And um, yeah, yeah, it was really good. I remember being um, quite impressed with the design of this. I, I've just played it the once, but. Uh... Uh, this was uh, last year at Paul's uh, birthday uh, convention thing. Uh, I, I, I think it worked very well. Everything fit together. You kept on having tricky decisions. I do like some tricky decisions in a game. The only issue I had was um, there's a couple of the colours, I think, I couldn't tell apart. So it wasn't quite colourblind friendly. That's the only thing that put me off. The, sh- the ships are all different colours, aren't they? They're, the tokens are different colours, like pastel colours. Uh, and I don't think any of them have symbols on or anything, so that might be a bit tricky yeah, if you yeah. if you do that. Uh, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying about the uh, the game itself. Yeah, it's quite smooth to play. You get like a a, a board, like a player board, and it's got these five different phases. I think that you go through in step, and it kind of explains what you know what order you do the phases in. So you pick your tile first, and then the option of buying a ship, and they can put your ships out, and it tells you all on the board. So it's quite easy to follow and quite quite straightforward to actually play. I was going to say, if you said you managed to finish it in 90 minutes and it recommends 40 to 80 and you had a full-size group of bots, that's quite good because I normally reckon at least an extra hour to half an hour for a medium to difficult game if it's the first time out as you're learning things. So I thought, I think that sounds really good. 
Yeah, yeah, it, uh, we we did we did stick a couple of times. There's there's a bit of analysis paralysis where you you know in the middle of a game you've got a lot of options of of where you want your ships to go, what kind of buildings you want to build, where you want to go in the turn order is quite important as well because if you if you go in first you you get first choice of the next set of tiles that come out. So that's quite important as well. So there's a lot to think about, especially in the middle. Uh, and, and yeah, even with that, it, it, it all seemed to quite have, go quite quickly. What well, one thing I would mention though is, I, I found that it's one of those games where you can't really plan ahead. People are picking up tiles and, and picking up tokens from the board, uh, and depending on the turn order, if you're going third or fourth, you might not necessarily the, the stuff that you want might not be there when you when it comes out to your turn. So you can think of the sort of turn. Oh yeah, I need that. I need that orange token, and I need to get a couple of these ships to get it. But then when it comes around to you, the, the tile with those ships on might have gone or the token might have gone because somebody else has gone. So it, there is a bit of planning involved. But I found that when it came around to your turn, you kind of had to look at the board again and decide, you know, if your original strategy was still valid or if you wanted to, if you had to do something else because somebody else has, you know, taken the stuff that you wanted. Learning to be reactionary. But that, that's not a major thing. That's just a, a, a light thing, really. This was a Days of Wonder game, wasn't it? Yeah, so the, the production's really good. All the artwork on it's really nice and uh, r- really good. All, all the icons and everything all, all make sense. It, the board's really nice looking. It's a beautiful board. Uh, yeah, it's all, it all really good, really. Yeah, Days of Wonder, they have a slightly unusual um, business setup. Some publishers put out loads and loads of games, and some of them will work and some of them won't. But Days of Wonder, they just do like one big game each year. Um, so it could be five tribes or and then Yamatai and then Quadropolis and it, so it's just one big game that they put loads of effort into and make it a, a, as good as they could possibly do it and it's always a a beautiful production. Some of the games sort of hit better than others but they're always uh, quality production. Oh, I didn't know that, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, that's Yamatai. Another game that I've played recently is a game called Spectaculum. This is a bit of an older one. This is from 2012 I think I've heard of this. This is the Knizia one. Yeah. <laughs> Rana Knizia. Yeah. I do like his games. It's a bit of a hidden gem, this one, by the Grandmaster designer himself, Rana Knizia. It plays two to four players. It takes between 30 and 45 minutes. It's a bit hard to explain because the theme, well, you, with a Rana Knizia game, you know the theme's not really going to be <laughs> a major part of the game itself. But the theme is that you're a travelling circus and you're travelling around this map, hiring and firing entertainers. But actually, it plays more like a stock market game. You have uh, four stocks, in effect, which are um, cards, uh, a red, yellow, and a blue, and a purple. Uh, And they're worth, there's four tracks on the board, and they're worth various uh, amounts of money. So they might start off at three, they might go go up or down, depending on what you you do during the game. So the board itself uh, is like a hexagonal board, there's hexes. Uh, they kind of squashed down a little bit. And on those hexes, there are uh, villages where uh, you put some random tiles out and the tiles will be either a plus one, a plus two, and a plus three, a minus one, a minus two, and a minus three, or it might be a couple of uh, a couple of special ones. You've also got a bag with uh, some round tokens on it, some round discs that you put on the board. So as part of your turn, what you'll do is you'll have three of those discs drawn randomly for the bag, and the discs match, match up to the characters uh, that you can buy on the board, so the red, yellow, blue, and purple. So what you do is you uh, you start off by placing it on one of the starting positions, the first the first token that you have, and then what you can do is you can place any other uh, tokens of the same colour adjacent to any any t- tokens that are already on the board. So uh, if you draw like three blue tokens, for example, you can start off putting the blue one in the starting area for, for blue, and then the next blue token can be placed next to any other blue token from that from that point onwards. So sometimes the, the tokens will kind of spread out and sometimes they'll kind of contain themselves in a little area. But what you're trying to do is when you put the token on the board, uh, if you put it on one of these special villages with the plus one, plus two, and plus three, or minus one, minus two, and minus three, the value of that chip that you put on there will go up or down by that amount. So if I put a blue token on the plus three village, the, the track for blue will go up by three. So that, that makes them more expensive. Uh, what you can also do on your turn is you can buy and sell these cards as well. So it's kind of a stock market kind of game. The, the value of these will go up and down depending on where, where people are placing these tokens. And as part of your turn as well, you can do two entertainer actions, which is either buying a card or selling a card. 
So I could buy two or sell two or do a combination of each or neither if you don't want to do either. So basically what you want to do is buy them when they when they're cheap and then and then sell them when they you know when the value goes up. The the only problem is that this is open information, so your cards are, are laid out in front of you with your coloured uh, stocks on them in effect so I might have some red some yellow and I might not have any blue so I'm not bothered about the blue value I can I can drop that if I want to if I get a blue token I can put a minus three on that I'll drop the value of it if I've got a lot of red cards I might I, I would want to increase the value of that so I'd, I'd put the plus threes on there to, to make an increase in value and then obviously they sh- sell them off before somebody else drops it again. So not, there's not much interaction in this game. They're basically just putting these tokens out and adjusting the values of these, these four tracks. But the interaction comes from the changing of of the values depending on what other people have got. So if, if you and another person have got the same colour, you, you're both kind of working together to increase the value of that. But if you've got opposite colours, so if, you, if, if nobody's collecting a colour, it, it, it'll go down. It might even potentially reach zero. So you can buy some for zero if you think it's going to go up later on the game. It's a really quick game. It's like half an hour, 40 minutes, perhaps, even with four players. And it's it's a really simple game. There's not much to it, really, but the choices that you've got are, are, are quite interesting because there's there's also a bit of bluffing involved as well because you might pick up a, a particular colour card, like a purple one, for example, and then people will see that and then they might take the value of that down. But you might not really be interested in purple. You might be interested in red and trying to get that high. So... That's basically your turn. You just place the three tokens, either buy or sell two cards, and then you, you draw three more random tokens from the bag. The, ga- the game ends when all the villagers are kind of covered up, and basically you count up all your money. person with the most money wins. We've played this a few times at the club, and it, it, it's, it, it's quite good because it is quite quick. And I, I think because it's a Randy Kennedy game as well, it, it's really streamlined. Yeah, it's a, it's a good game, this one. I like this one a lot. Yeah, I've just looked online as well because I've not heard of it, and the images are pretty. You know, it is a pretty looking game as well. Um, it, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 some of the artwork in it is quite it is quite amusing. It's like comedic kind of yeah. uh, characters that you know that, that are on the cards. So there's like a, there's like a fire eater, and there's like ch- there's gold chilies, got icicles on him, and things like that. But uh, I think the board itself is maybe a little bit dated. I think I think it is it is an older game. It's from two thousand and twelve, but I think it probably looks like it's maybe a bit older than that. I was going to say it does look kind of late nineties, really, doesn't it? It, it does a bit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But th- don't let that put you off. It is it is good fun to play, and uh, yeah, we we uh, we quite enjoyed playing it a few times. So when we've when we've uh, you know when you're kind of in between games and you don't really want to play a filler game if something that like takes 10 15 minutes you want to play something a little bit longer but you know you want a proper game out of it this this is ideal for that kind of thing we played it um i played it two players as well mm-hmm. and it's not quite as good with two players um because you, you uh, nothing changes there's no there's no uh, tweaks for the player count you you still buying and selling the same kind of four shares in the in the game so there's not as much really going on with with two. It still works. It's still fine. It's still fun. But I found I found it is better with three or four. It just needs to have that extra player or two to have the fact that you're potentially going to have two people going for the same thing, and one person that will quite happily ha- ha- try to undo both of your strategies if you're both going for red, for example. Um, whereas if you're going for red, your opponent probably isn't in a two-player game. I'd like to have a go at that sometime. I've, I've played quite a few of his games, but not that one. I mean, yeah, yeah. last I heard he designed like 700 or something. So, <laughs> uh, This is another one to add to the list then. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, Spectaculum, uh, and, and that's a, a thumbs up from me. Yeah, Tom, Tom C. Yes. <laughs> you, you've been to the Games Expo. I have. Well, well both Toms have. We, we both have, but slightly different experiences. Yes, I went to an exp- the expo more as a, a, a punter. Yes. Uh, whereas Tom was uh, on his uh, his own stand all weekend, which was uh... from the Thursday, effectively. Yeah. Uh, so, from the punter's point of view, um, it's just games, 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 games. It's just you, you walk into this massive warehouse full of people and full of games and there's stalls everywhere and there's so much happening and you can't do everything and you just run around everywhere and you can't see all the things you're meant to see. You can't buy all the things that look good and it's just overwhelming. But if you just sort of go with the flow and just 
does amazing things all around you. I did hear that there was someone giving hot massages as well, though. Uh, I did not hear that. <laughs> someone told me that they went up and there was someone with a, basically a hot pack for massaging your shoulders because you've been playing so many games. And that just seemed a bit mad, but also a bit game tech-like at the same time. That seems like a very useful service. I, I, would, I would definitely have taken um, use of that if I'd heard of it. But yes, uh, it was it was a fantastic weekend. Played so many games and then just came home on the Sunday evening and collapsed. Um, I also helped out a little bit on, on stands. Because I, uh, I helped at uh, Stuff by Bez, who had a stand there selling her games you donned the red i did yep everyone working on that uh stand had to wear red so i bought some red trousers especially and a red shirt and uh and i spent a friday morning and a few hours on saturday helping out there and just it was it was intense it was fun i uh was very tired at the end of it and i don't know how tom uh, over Tom, Tom L, Tom Lovewell, uh, could have survived <laughs> doing all three days of that. Because uh, it's uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, the actual expo itself. People arrive on the, on the Thursday as well yeah. and do a bit of set up and there's some gaming going on at that point. But the actual main event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's um, it's a lot of fun. So what what did that involve, yeah. Tom? Was that uh, demoing games or were you helping out on the, you know, selling or...? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I demoed a few games. I mean, I was on that stand because uh, I designed a new game for Bez's uh, Wibble Plus Plus game system, which is a deck of cards with letters on, and she's already got, like, seven other games uh, officially for it, plus, like, loads of others sort of in various uh, stages of the works. And she had a competition for people to design a new game. I entered that, and I won it. So that's a new game that he he had for that system. So I was on the table sort of showing people that game. But I also had a few demos of her other game. She has uh, one called Yogi, where you, it, it, it really simple, you draw a card and, do, and you follow the rules on that card. And you have to keep on doing that until you can't anymore. So when you're having a card touching your el- left elbow and another card between your fingers and, then, and, another, <laughs> and, and you're holding your right hand above your shoulder and then you you got your... Yeah, eventually it gets, it gets impossible and you fail, and the last one. Yeah, we we did actually play this. I, th- I think I might have played oh, it before at the club. Oh yeah, we got we got in a bind, which is the previous version of it. Yogi uh, is a yeah. reprint of that. Sort of, uh, right. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it's quite good fun. Uh, you you kind of get into a bit of a contortion where you you, you know you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to do four or five different things at once, and more and more cards are coming out. Yeah, some good photos of people playing that game. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a couple of intense demo, demos of that at uh, Better Stand. Um, I think Samuel actually uh, took a photo of me in in a compromising position at one point. So uh, <laughs> I might appear on the internet or uh, in a blackmail attempt at some point. How much did Samuel bribe you for? I don't know. I think he's just waiting for the right moment. Yeah. Ah. And also, the other thing about Bethesda's stand is the Wall of Cats. This is a uh, it's an institution now. They're multiplying, aren't they? They are. Um, he a couple of years ago, she said, "I've got a game going to be coming out any time now called Kitty Cataclysm, and to promote it, I'm going to get people to draw cats." And she's been doing that at every mm-hmm. convention she goes to. Essen and Aircon and UK Games Expo, and then a few years later, she's now got two thousand little cards with cats drawn on them, which she <laughs> sticks up on the wall every time. So there's like four hours of sticking cats up on the wall before she can even get the stand ready. And every time she says, "Never again! I'm not bringing these, this, this bloody cat wall again." That's amazing. But well, it is amazing. I first drew a cat. It's Aircon 2018. I drew a cat for Bez. So I have a cat on the catwalk, I suspect. Not very well drawn. There were people coming around saying, oh, I drew a cat there, I'll see if I can find mine on there. Oh, yeah, there's mine. That's great. <laughs> it's a really nice <laughs> thing, but it's just a lot of work. Yeah. I think you've got to have to turn it into a... Maybe turn it into a YouTube video of the gallery music from Tony Hart. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think she should just take it to the Tate Modern. Maybe, yeah. I think it's, it is it is a an artwork in itself. It's great. It's a it's a wonderful yeah. thing. And finally, he has actually the game that he was fin- they were promoting with it all. Kitty Cataclysm is finally a game in production, and it was on sale. So that was the other thing that we were doing. 
It's a it's a quick chaotic card game. Uh, Tony Boydell, Boydell, the doyen of English gaming, has uh, reviewed it as dumb as nuts, which is <laughs> um, it kind of sum, summarizes it, I think. Uh, it's in in a good way, dumb as nuts in a good way. I mean, <laughs> and, it, and it's it's got huge amounts of cat puns, and it's silly and fun. And I was demonstrating that a bit. So all the games are kind of fun things that get people sort of. Uh, Doing crazy things or interacting. interacting and just having a lot of laughs. So it was, it was really good fun helping her out there, but it was tiring. And I only did like two mm-hmm. half days. So all the people that were there on there for the entire time, I don't know how they managed. Lots of sugar. Lots of sugar, yes. <laughs> and coffee. Yes, I, I saw that uh, when we passed by your stand on a Sunday, I saw there was a lot of cupcakes. That was because it was Sally's birthday, was, in yeah. fairness. So there was a reason for it. It might have helped get through the day. And yes, um, the day at work on Monday was very caffeine fueled, and I just collapsed Monday night. It must, must be hard, yeah. yeah. Well, well, the other thing is, there's a press preview on the Thursday night. So I took Thursday and Friday off work, and I went down on the Thursday, set my stand up, Tried to grab a sandwich to eat before getting across to Hall 3A, where the press preview starts at 6. So I left my stand at about 10 to 6, tried to grab a sandwich and a drink, went across and set up just before the press went in at 6. Now, last year it was two hours and they've got tables really close together and it was a bit tricky. This year they'd actually got more space between the tables, so it made it easier for A, those of us presenting games to actually fit behind and talk about it but critically for the members of media coming around to look at games they had space to breathe and talk and interact so they've done a good job this year of making it easy for the press preview but that was tiring because it was from just before six until nine o'clock and I'm kind of deserted my post by about 20 to nine because I was I didn't manage to get my sandwich and I was starving and tired and I knew I had three days to do, but I made sure I wasn't the first person to leg it. There's a few people who'd gone beforehand before I vacated the space. So that, that was a little too long, I think at three hours, but it was good. I got to talk to a number of people um, and showed, demonstrated um, six gun show down to them. And then it was the three days of, people coming to stands um and for for me this is my second year as redwell games at a stand at uk games expo but a few years ago i think it would be the 2016 uh uk games expo i was on the tour gaming stand on the friday and was demoing a miniatures game so i've been to games expo a number of times sometimes as a punter sometimes as a demonstrator and it felt particularly busy for me this weekend than the previous times it gets bigger every time it does get bigger every time but that physically my stand this year was a half deep you know not a particularly long frisbee throw away from where i was last year but the traffic was immense and last year i thought i managed three days i could do work again the following day it'll be fine and i was absolutely creamed on monday Whereas last year I was okay, and there wasn't much physical difference in position, but they'd changed how the um, different exhibitors were. And so you had Call Mini or Not, you had Fancy Flight, you had some really big names in Hall 2 this year, whereas last year they didn't. Yeah, it wasn't just big ones in Hall 1 and all little ones in Hall Hall 2. It was um, a bit more of a mixture this time. And so people came into Hall 2 and you kind of had to hold them back almost as they came in Hall 2 on Friday and Saturday, which was not the case last year. So they really did a job for sorting that out on the Friday and the Saturday. I think as things went on on the Sunday, Hall 2 reverted a bit more to how it was like on the Sunday in 2018 but you can only do so much um and i think it is because it's easy to get to hall one people don't always go up the steps and so it'll always be the secondary one because it's up a flight of steps or up a ramp or so 
So, but yeah, it, it, I liked it. Um, I think they've done a lot of good things because there's seminars as well as just the games, isn't there, Tom? There is, uh, most of which I completely fail to go to. I always have a look at the seminars and say, uh, oh, I definitely want to go to that, definitely want to go to that, oh, we'll try and go to that, and then don't manage to do any of them. Yeah. So there's like um, uh, the big ones that everyone always goes to are the, uh, the shows from the, the famous people, like the Dice Tower have a have a show and uh, shut up and sit down, have, have one. This game is broken. This game is broken. Now, that's the one I keep on meaning to go to, but it uh, no, didn't manage. Um, yeah, so I didn't get, get, manage to go to any of those, but I did go to a uh, uh, an event which was sort of a workshop thing done by James Wallace, uh, a, a board, game, board game designer masterclass, which was like uh, three hours, uh, and he talked for a bit and then said, go and design a game. Here's some bits, and, uh, and we did, which was great. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> and that was really, really fun. It was, yeah. I mean, I kind of summarised it a bit there, but uh, it, it was... Uh, yeah, he, he gave like a, a really... He's, he's been in the games business for many years. He's designed some games, like Once, Once Upon a Time is his, his game, I think, and a few other, some in RPG, some of more gamey. And he's run a games consultancy called Space. We've got three A's. Um, <laughs> so he's he's done it all. He, he lectures as a board game, game design teacher at a university, and he's, he's he knows his stuff. He can tell you everything that uh, you need to know about games, and then he just put us in teams, and we had to design had half an hour to design a quick game that could be play tested in fifteen minutes by the people on the next table. So we had half an hour, put things together. Went over and played someone else's game. Came back to ours, redid it based on the feedback that we'd got, and then went over and played someone else's game. And we ended up with an actual playable game. And we uh, and other people were designing their own games based on the same theme. He gave us the theme games, uh, and everyone did something completely different. And it was it was really actually invigorating and fun. Um, we had a, a mixture of people there, obviously all people who were interested in game design, but uh, uh, we had a woman who'd, uh, on our little table of four people, there was me and Paula, I dragged Paula in, but uh, she was a bit reluctant, but she ended up enjoying it. Then we had a guy who uh, was really into board games and wanted to design things, but had never actually got beyond some quick sketches, uh, never actually made a prototype, and it, so he was, and he was over from uh, Netherlands, I think. I might be wrong. Somewhere European. And a woman who had designed a board game, but uh, he was more in the sort of traditional roll and move uh, side of things. So not so we were all, you know, playing, uh, give, throwing out ideas about Euro games, and she was um, throwing out ideas about, you know, uh, oh, if you roll this, you miss a turn and things. Uh, which was, it was interesting fitting all those people together. And it, we actually, it was, it, it, sometimes he it does this seminar for people um, in... Uh, companies to sort of get people who don't do any board games he presents it as a sort of a, a learn how to do project management and team building and things but this one was uh, to actually people who were uh, who know how to make games and we yeah it was really interesting that sounds good <laughs> and that is the only uh, event I actually managed to get to all the others I intended to go to just uh, didn't manage so yes uh, Friday night I got to go to the open library element for the open gaming and played Carcassonne South Seas for the first time so uh, I'd never played Carcassonne before it's just one of the games I've not got around to playing normally friends had got new things and so we just never opened their box so it was nice for me to try something new and I quite actually enjoyed the whole Euro element um, unfortunately my wife didn't quite get to grips with it and so after about four rounds uh i was doing particularly well and they decided that as it was 11 half 11 i've got to demo the next day we finished it early um but i i enjoyed playing the game it was nice um elements with the tile laying and choosing whether you're going for your coconuts or fish or other options and and it was nice to be demoing during the day but have options in the evening to continue playing games yeah, there's a lot of open gaming going on. Uh, yeah, there's a few different versions, yeah. isn't there? There's a there's an Amazonia one where you kind of build up a river and you're going down the river. We've got Carcassonne Star Wars. 
I've, I've played the uh, the standard Carcassonne game, and that's that's a really good one. That's uh, one of my wife's favorite games. She she loves that. I, I found it was good, but uh, after a while, the the strategy was kind of similar. We like to throw in one of the expansions just to make make things a bit different every now and then. But yeah, yeah, is it kind of same same kind of tile laying, putting a meeple on, scoring points, that kind of thing. It is the same principle. It just dependent on where you put the meeples depends on what thing you're collecting and you're trying to do a set collection to get boats so certain boats will have two bananas um, a shell and um, a fish and so that's what you want to collect by putting your meeple on and then you place a tile and you can collect you complete a bridge for example and you'll collect uh, I forgot what I, I think bridges are the shells so you then get that number of shells dependent on um, how many bridges, um, how many shell icons there were, and so you can then collect the um, boats for the trading part, and the boats are what cause you to score at the end. Yeah. So sounds very nice. So yeah, it was a nice little um, game. I thought. I was just going to say, did you get into the bring and buy at all? I did not get into the bring and buy. That is the one area I've been relatively speaking near to a few times, and I've never stepped foot inside there because I'm a coward. I didn't go in there myself, but other people that were down there from, uh, from our party did, uh, were either selling things or buying things or both, and they said it was um, it, insane in there. It's massively massive amount of people, massive amount of games, and it was just, really? you had queues to get in, then queues to walk all the way around, and then queues to buy things, and you could spend hours just queuing, but there were bargains to be had. I can imagine it being real popular, yeah. At one point, Dave pointed us towards a link that UK Games app had, which listed all the games currently on their system in the Bring and Buy thing, because they have it all computerised, and there oh, were cool. 6,000 6, different games that people had... <laughs> that were still in there. I mean, that was at one point during the weekend, there were still people There were people that had already sold and bought... Uh, some games that had already been sold, and some that were still to go in there, I'm sure, but uh, at that wow. one point, there was loads. And, uh, I know Samuel went in there and I looked after his bags on the Sunday and he came round with a big pile of games. Now, I don't know how many of those were things he'd taken in there to, to sell and how many things were, ooh, I've now got some cash and these I'll buy. But yes, he had a suitcase, half clothes, half games. Paul managed to get three games in there, uh, all of which look good. We've tried a couple of them. Uh, Black Fleet is one that we've been looking to get older for a while. Mountains of Madness. Neither of us have played, but we've heard it's good. Mountains or mansions? Mountains. Mountains. Oh. Uh, oh, Rob cool. Davio, um, Cthulhu, party game, everyone yep. goes mad. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't with Cthulhu? Yes. And uh, uh, Municipium or Municipium, or something, which is uh, an old, another old... Rhino Knitty game, which we had a go at the other day, and it was really good. An oldie but a goodie. Yes. Well, we, we generally like all of his games. Well, I was going to have a chat about some games on Kickstarter, if that's okay. So, there's three games that I want to talk about. I'll plug my own at the end, because, well, who wouldn't? Um, have you got a game on Kickstarter, Tom? Yes, I do. Yeah, that was what I was at Games Expo. But um, there's two others I wanted to mention. There's Sensor Ghosts by um, Ren Games with their expansions for assembly. So you can, and Janice and Stu Turner of Ren Games, I'm really impressed by their co op games and the style that they've got. Don't tell them, but I'm dead jealous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they had loads of people at their stand all weekend. I could see because she was just down from mine. And it's a nice little game. It's the follow up to assembly of Sensor Ghosts. And you've basically successfully made your spaceship in assembly. It's quite literally on from that, what you're doing in the spaceship. The way in which she's been very um, cooperative with her audience during the development, she's regularly been putting out different kinds of images and asking social media, what do people think? So I really like that about um, the way that Janice has been going about putting the game together. If you like meeples, they've got some robo meeples, which look particularly funky. 
for part of the assembly resequence and override expansion part. And so, and it's not a particularly expensive game, I think. Um, I've backed just for Sensor Ghosts at 24, which for uh, three players, it's pretty um, good value, actually. And I know of the kind of quality she's going to put out there with the game. So looking forward to that when it's completed and finished. Have you had a look? Yes, I've, I've um, yeah, I met um, Janice when she was demonstrating at Aircom. And we had a look at uh, the, he was demonstrating assembly, and we we saw that and, oh, really good, and and bought it. We've uh, played it loads of times since then. Uh, just a, it's a co-op two-player game, and I, I do know he's he's really red hot on the whole social media thing. I just I, I can't do Facebook or Twitter. I just I try and do a few, and then I sort of drift away again. Uh, but he's always really sort of building yes. an audience and getting involved, and he's I've heard her on yes. podcasts as well, and she's she's really. She's really approaching it in a really professional way. She's just doing her best to make this a success. It's really impressive. Well, she was on, I think, uh, The Giant Brain as a guest uh, presenter there a few months back. Um, but the other thing that I like is the way she has an, an accessibility element to her game. Well, Janice and Stu, um, but I think Janice drives the social media definitely. So we think about Janice first. Um, and the way in which she makes sure that there's a good mix of colour but and symbols so that there are it is a colourful game, but you don't need the colours. Um but also I read an article she'd written about the names that she chooses for the characters are to encompass a range of different backgrounds for people, um different genders and things like that, which I think was actually really clever. I was impressed by that one. In the rule book for the for assembly there's a instructions for playing one variant of it where you don't talk but just have to communicate using sign language and their actual um british sign language uh symbols that they're using so yeah that's uh that's part of our accessibility i guess yes so the second game i wanted to talk about is by uh is gladiatore's um blood for roses and i first saw this at um tabletop scotland last year and I thought, ooh, that looks particularly pretty. That will just fly off the electronic shelves, which it didn't. And it surprised me that for the game by Brad Cat Games, um, it looks really nice. It had a really strong gameplay element. This time, they've relaunched it, um, and they're over 200% funded, and... Yeah, it, it looks like a solid game. They've got miniatures involved. Um, and, and I think they've really tried to get to their theme of the, the gladiatorial combat. And uh, I'm really glad for them that it's um, moving forward. The difficulty I've always had is I'm normally on a stand. So going and spending an hour away playing someone else's game is typically a lot trickier. Um, and so I tend to sort of get the 10, 15 minutes to find out about it from someone. But they've got um, a great campaign page. They're really strong with their comments as well um, and updates. And um, again, for, for what I think is a mid-level game, uh, it's for two to five people. Um, and and again, it's about that 30-minute time frame. And it's about uh, just having a look. It's I think it was in around about the £30 mark. So not something that's going to leave a serious dent in your pocket. So yeah, um, another game for people to have a look at, uh, and yeah, Scottish-based. And so going from Southampton uh, for Ren Games up to um, Scotland for Gladiatores, um, and yeah, it does give you that feel of the Roman amphitheatre if you just have a quick look at the cards and everything they've got. Mm, it's not one I've heard of actually. Mm, no, me either. I have now. So well, well, well. There, there's my top tip. Uh, <laughs> And my third top tip is, of course, there's my game um, that I launched on Thursday, and it's uh, breached the 45% mark in three days. So it is, I would say it's on target to funding. Obviously, we all know with Kickstarter, until you hit that 100%, 98% still isn't good enough. So, But in three days, I'm quite happy with getting to 45%. And it's Six Gun Showdown, and it's a Wild West shootout game. 
and it takes five to ten minutes to play. And it's been actually developed with Sheffield board gamers quite a lot. I took it to a number of the Sunday sessions, as well as the um, the Playtest UK sessions that Tom runs on the Wednesday. But um, some of the Sunday sessions, I've got people involved to do some stress testing. So it is very much a Sheffield board gamers assisted game in its development. Yep, made in Sheffield. Uh, Playtest UK second Wednesday of the month out of the tabletop uh, at the uh, Treehouse t- board game cafe. So uh, yeah, come along. <laughs> yes, th- this Wednesday I'll be there. Um, but that's a really good event that you run on. Um, it helps people who are designing games to get things tested, and it also helps introduce new and different games to people, particularly those that attend Treehouse that have never um, tried anything. At an early stage, it gives them, I think, real insight into some of the development processes as well. I think it's, it's probably worth mentioning as well that even if you don't design games, it's worth uh, checking out that group and, and, and maybe calling in sometimes because you get to play games that you know people are kind of working on. You get to see their design process, and and even if you're not you know you're not particularly interested in that side of it, you can still go along and play some new games that you might not necessarily be able to play any, anywhere else really. Well, I, I'd say that, but it's it's useful for the designers to have people that aren't designers to go along and play, because yep. you get a completely different feedback from that group. So I, I'd say it's key, Rick. Um, I'd agree completely people need to go, um, and it helps the designers out so much. Um, what, can, can you tell us a bit more about uh, about Six Gun Showdown then? So it's... It's a three-round game, um, and basically you score points for shooting your opponent. You get a bonus point if you drew second, but you get advantages to your draw speed if you go first. So each step of the game, there's an element of strategy, an element of reading your opponent, and it's um, trying to assess risk and reward at each point. So a round starts where you take your deck of 15 cards and you choose six of them and you lay them face down in front of you. So you've got that tactics of which cards you're choosing. And then you alternate choosing a card between you and your opponent. But the first step of risk that comes in is the first player is whoever literally goes first. And so sometimes you have both players want to go first and react quickly to go for the card. And sometimes they both want to go second and so you've got that kind of standoff as they're both looking at each other going I want you to go first and so and then you have the turning over each each other's cards some cards improve your speed um, your draw speed of your pistol others improve your accuracy some of them taunt your opponent and make them worse and it then gets to a head when someone turns over their pistol card to shoot their opponent and there's a very rapid fire uh, snap kind of game to to mimic the physical shootout uh, where one player reaches across to touch their other their opponent's cards before they can react, uh, and then there's a dice roll. So, so it, it, it's very much a tactical snap game, I call it, because there's always tactics, but there's a physical element. I always thought when you um, from when you brought this first time that this is a very good matchup of uh, theme and mechanics, because you imagine that scene in a western where people are sort of staring at each other and twitching their fingers and they're going to go for the gun and uh, and uh, narrowing their eyes and and the camera pans to one and then looks at the other and then suddenly one of them draws a gun Um, and every moment of that is sort of translated into uh, just this card play like uh, you twitch your fingers slightly it's it's represented by turning over that card which makes you slightly closer to your gun so you can get faster and but it all comes down to, I mean, you might draw your, your gun really quick, but your dice roll might still let you down and you and you miss, and then you're sitting duck for the the opponent to, to shoot you. And it, it just really mimics that moment in Westerns. I thought it was really good like that. Yeah, well, that that was what it, I was always intended it to be, a very fast-playing game. And I wanted it to be opposite of the first game I launched, which was Vote Me, and was a talky game with people for 3 to 10 people and large groups and I wanted something very quick that I could demo at conventions and things and have someone come along, play a game, five to ten minutes, get that quite literally a physical kick and an emotional connect with that tension and then go and go, I've played a nice game, I've had fun, I'll remember that and come back and, and it seems to have done everything there. But 
there's six characters in the box. And so instead of just going, well, I've played it once, 10 minutes, it's done. I've got everything I can think about it. Because I've put in six different characters, there's a lot of variability from a small game. And because of that variability, you can play it again and again and again because, you know, the potential different combinations of characters is quite huge. And then with the different options you can use, it will literally be each game is different. How, how many players? Is it, is it just a two-player game or can you play more? It's intended as a one versus one in this format. I'm trying to work out if you can do a Mexican standoff style thing or not. But it's a lot trickier. At some of the Sunday sessions we've had, I ran a play a stress testing element where we had six people and they each had a character. And we had the first half hour was people getting used to the game and learning their character. And then I ran five games, one after the other after the other, and that took about a quarter hour and a half. And we played five games in that period of time. So in total, over two hours, people played seven or eight games. So you can kind of do multiple players and do as a round robin, particularly once people had got used to it, the game times went from 10 minutes close to five minutes, and it was more like the 10 minutes at the early stage. So I think you could kind of go, yeah, actually, we can do multiple people and a round robin. I'm developing something which will be more like a um, gunfight at the OK Corral, where you can have teams of two or three people against another team of two or three people. But that's going to take a little bit more work, and I'm just focusing on getting this one out um, to the printers before solidly crunching the gameplay with that. But there are plans afoot, and I've already got early rules put down that I'm going to get people testing probably over the summer once uh, print files have gone off to the printers for production. I, uh, I'd love to know more about the uh, the Kickstarter as well and how all that's organised and how it goes on. So probably there's a lot of discussion there probably about how it, you know how you actually go about it. But that must, that must be a big job to actually organise the Kickstarter and get, get, it all, you know, get the ball rolling and get it, get it on there. It takes a lot. Um, and, and, yeah. and I think... That is the bit that I need to, you know, in all honesty, that's the bit I need to learn the most. I'm not particularly good at graphic design and video editing and all of that. And unfortunately, a Kickstarter page requires good graphic skills, requires videos and other bits. And that's unfortunately one of my weakest hands. So it takes me particularly a lot of time. So when you see people with their pristine looking pages I'm I, I'm personally dead jealous because it's a case of I wish I could do that <laughs> and I could get somebody to do it for me. fortunately for who if I was going to employ somebody to make my Kickstarter page look nicer that's just going to put up the price that I'm going to need to look for um, yeah and so yeah. therefore I've just gone it's not going to be the prettiest but I get to put the price that I put down there um, as low as I need it to be for a print run and that's all I've asked for it's a case of I get this funding that covers the print run it doesn't cover any of the development cost it doesn't cover going to conventions to demo to people or anything like that it literally just covers getting the game made but I think that's important um, and then the first few stretch goals will start to cover getting some extra artwork to just improve the look of the box and the look of the rule set. But I'm not scrimping on some of the core elements. So the cardstock that I've got quotes for are all of a high level cardstock. Um, I'm getting engraved dice rather than printed dice because they'll last longer. So yeah, I think the game quality is what I'm focusing on. It'd be nice to have a, pre a beautiful Kickstarter page, but critically, I'm focusing on the game. That's my prime focus. Yeah, uh, well, I, th I think you've done a great job with it. Really, it, it looks it looks pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, it, it looks impressive on on Kickstarter. I think it's something you could be proud of. That it's uh, yeah, it's looking looking great. Well, thank you. Um, well, the the other Kickstarter to be aware of was well, I was just thinking. Um, there's also Death Rabbits that's also on Kickstarter. 
by another Sheffield um, company. So they made um, the monkey butt a number of years back, and they brought this along to your demo um, to the playtest session, didn't they, Tom? They did. We've tried that a couple of times. It's actually uh, it's. Um... You ever played, uh, what was it called, computer game? Worms, yes, where you have a team of worms shooting uh, bazookas at each other or whatever weapon they got. It basically recreates that in a board game, except you're not worms, you're rabbits. And it's all very nicely done. So, yes, yeah, so, so those are my top tip for independent uh, games on Kickstarter. There are plenty of the big boys that you're using Kickstarter now, um, with nice-looking things as well. So these are just focusing on the smaller independent people. Uh, what's your name, please? It's Evan. Uh, what have we just been playing? So Steamrollers. It's it's a kind of pick-up-and-deliver game. You're do, trying to deliver cubes from one city to another, but you're, you're it's a roll-and-write game, so you've got to... You've got to roll some dice and then choose a dice to do different actions, which can be either draw on your little pad a route between cities, or it's to kind of or you can upgrade your engine. Or there's various different ways of getting points. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Question of the week this week is uh, regarding rules. So this is this has cropped up uh, a couple of times recently. So this is why I've, I've, I've put it in there. Uh, rules mistakes specifically. So when you're playing a game, obviously you have to kind of learn the rules, and, and sometimes you have to teach it to other people as well. Uh, and if it's a uh, regardless of what kind of game it is, whether it's a simple game or a more complex or a longer game, sometimes you do you do make mistakes. You miss things out or you misinterpret something or something like that. So this has happened a couple of times with, with, with myself. So one of the questions I had was, if you discover that you're playing a game wrong, so if you're, if you're in the middle of playing a game and you think, oh, this, is, this rule actually should be done this way instead, what do you do at that point? Do you, do you stop the game and, and restart it? Or do you carry on playing it wrong? Or do you carry on playing it right? Do you, do you change in the middle of the game? That, that, that's quite a tricky thing to, to, to sort of suggest, isn't it? Uh, I'm all, all for doing what the designer intended. So if we, uh, the rules are usually there for a reason. I was going to agree with Tom. I'd try and switch to the rules as they were put down, um, and also try to assess if whether one person was unfairly disadvantaged by the rule. You know, if everybody has had the same level of advantage or disadvantage with the incorrect rules, then I'd just go. We switch. We play it the correct way move on if someone has been massively disadvantaged then i think that's more likely to leave a sour taste in my mouth um and i might start again or try to get them up to the level that they might have needed to be at if there'd been a uh, misunderstanding of the rules i think i think rules writing is probably another one of those another one of those skills that you need as a game designer isn't it because it's it's very it's very easy to pick up a rule book and be completely completely confused by it because it's terribly written. But it is really hard to write a good rules book in that explains what you need to do, but also explains what you can't do, and you know gets across the idea of the game without without you know too much too much interference from from stuff that's not really needed. How, how do you go about your your rules, Tom? Do you do you, do you kind of write them yourself? I write them myself. I think I'm I think I'm fairly clear with my rules <laughs> they've been alright so far but um, there's always the problem of uh, you read it and everything's obvious to you because you know it, know the game so well so uh, I found that I, I managed to do it alright. There's usually, also two so different far. skills um, there, there's an ability to write rules and there's an ability to write a rule book and so, so one game yeah. that I've got that I'm happy with how the rules are is a spellcasting game called Kazing now, that's had a troubled gestation because the rules booklet is just a pain. So one of the things I've learned for Six Gun Showdown is how to get people into the game. So um, people who've never played 
will pick up the box and go, I've got six different characters. Which character do I choose? What do I do for my first turn? And so one of the things that I've learned from other people is the setup of the game, which will be, right, take these two characters. Now you've got a deck of 15 cards. The first round you play, these are cards numbered 1 to 6 and 7 to 12. Each player plays with those if you've never played it before. So there's ways in which you can help people learn the game. Now, admittedly, I have a short game, so I can just go, this is what you're doing. But a good setup is key to getting people to start the game properly. Um, but Paul Grogan and others give good guides as to how to teach a game. I went to um, a seminar at Aircon in 2018. And one of the key things was taking people through how to learn the game when you're teaching it. And it was a case of, at the start, tell people what the aim is. And even if it's a case of you win by getting the most points by doing this, you, they don't need to know the precise method for scoring points or winning, but they need to have that gist of it. And so there's very clear um, flow through of how you put together a rule booklet rather than specific rules. When I was a developer for Relics, we had to be very clear on how the rules were as written so that they could be interpreted in a very clear fashion. And so there is a certain precision needed. We had at the start of the Relics rulebook, these are the terms we used so that whenever we referred to a unit, that was a defined thing. And so sometimes you have that first page of these are our definitions and that helps later on. So yeah, it's clear language is very key. One of the things that often goes wrong with uh, rule books is uh, people start using different terms for the same thing. They don't have consistent terminology, which is really annoying sometimes. In, in, in a lot of rule books now, what you get is uh, in the first page, you get like a, a photo of the of the game, you know, from the, from the setup point of view, and then step-by-step -step instructions on how to set it up. I think that's, for, especially for sort of bigger games, then that's, that's quite important. Yeah. A picture and words just for both... Um, both ways of sort of understanding it. Some people can read it and, and know what, what's happening. Some people can look at it and know yeah. what's happening, but, but have both and you've got it, got them both. Uh, are you a fan of uh, summary sheets? So if you, you know, when you're playing a game, sometimes you'll get a card with like your actions that you can do on that turn um, or, you know, like a, the, the game flow or something like that. Sometimes you'll get like a, a board or some kind of card included in the game that's got that kind of information on it. Sometimes it's a really simple game and it might only have like a couple of points on there. Sometimes it'll be more complex, the, the more, you know, the more than likely have one. Uh, do you like do you like, like those kind of things? Or do you find them unnecessary and just, I'll just read the rules? I think in some games, in some games they're absolutely uh, vital. And uh, there's a game I've got called La Granja or La Granja. La Granja? Anyway, anyway spelled La Granja. Um, probably pronounced in some uh, Spanish way. Um, and that has got like six different phases, and each one has got uh, you do this and do this and do this, and it's it would be complicated to explain. It's complicated to remember, but it's just got a summary sheet which just has little icons on, and you just once you've got that, it's it flows fantastically. You just do that, 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 and it's it's absolutely um, essential to playing the game, and it's a really good uh, little player aid. It works really well in that game, and I don't think it would be the same game without it. You can also do it creatively. I like the summary sheet and where you hold all the trees on for photosynthesis. I think they cover a, a nice summary of the bits you need to know um, with something functional for where you're getting your trees and how much each thing costs. I think you can go for some elegance and a summary element at the same time. I mean, not every game needs it, but... Uh... In some games, it's just um, uh, it can really add to the experience. Just sort of making it uh, a good user experience. It's um, uh, it's an important part of game design. Not just making sure all the mechanics work, but making sure it all uh, flows smoothly and fits into people's heads easily. And that's just uh, and a summary sheet is just another tool that, that help help you do that. Let's say you've finished a game. So you've played a game. You you've finished playing it now. Somebody's won. And then you realise that you've done something wrong. 
um, you didn't really like the game, so you, you're not particularly planning on go, going back to it again and playing it again because you didn't, didn't really like it. If you realise uh, at that point or later on, if you realise that you've played it wrong or that there's a rule that you've interpreted incorrectly, uh, do, would you go back and play it again even though you didn't really like it? Or would you just say, oh, I, I, even with that rule correction, I know I still won't like it, so I'll not bother and I'll just move on to something else? Right. I was going to say that if I felt that getting the rule wrong affected how I felt about the game so I felt that it's particularly unbalanced because of reason x and then discovered that because I'd got the rule wrong reason x shouldn't have existed then yeah I'll play the game again because I wasn't playing the game that was designed but if it was a case of I played the game I didn't like it or if I got that rule correctly but actually it was a didn't really affect the gameplay or the feel of it no I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole (laughs) Um, I can't remember ever having this happen to me, but I think um, I can imagine a situation where you'd uh, play a rule wrong and it would all fall a bit flat, but then you'd realise what you should have done. And Say, for example, um, Tigris and Euphrates. This is another Tikalitsi game. We've mentioned him like three or four times. (laughs) Uh, If you get the scoring for that wrong... um, I don't know if you know the the game, Rick. Have you played? This? I have played it. Yeah, it was a while ago. But, but the thing is, you're, you're collecting uh, cubes, which are uh, represent the influence in various different areas. Mm. You can put black cubes and blue cubes and green cubes and red cubes um, from the various different things you're doing. But the score isn't all those cubes added together. What it is is whichever of those types you've got the least of is your score. For example, if you've got 10 yellows, 10 blues, 10 reds, and 2 blacks, then your score is 2. Um, and that it totally changes how you behave. You've got to spread yourself over getting everything else. So if you get the scoring wrong with that, and you don't realise that thing about mm. your score is the lowest of them, yeah. and you play the game and it just doesn't work, then later on you read that and you go, oh, that <laughs> totally changes everything. Yeah, you might realise that that has totally added a whole extra element to the game, um, but I think after you've played it through, even if you played it wrong, you know know the game quite well, and you'd be able to know whether a rule would affect the experience for you or not. But I can imagine it happening. You, you, yeah, you'd, you'd get an idea of the game, and you'd know you'd know at that point once you played it whether you. you yeah, I think I, I'd only replay it if I had the oh yeah. moment. Okay. Uh, do do you go back to rule books? Do you uh, do you read rule books for games that you know? So if you've played a game ten times, twenty times, and you, you know you, you taught it a few times and you know it inside out, do do you ever go back to the rules and reread them and just catch up on on things or just to brush up? Or I'm not the right person to to ask about this. <laughs> that's, well, I, I, never, know I don't play games. I don't play games twenty times. I play a game and I go, oh, right, there's another game over there I need to play. So by the time I play it again, it's like six months later. So I have to reread it all again. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know about you, Tom. I generally there's a few games that I don't go back to the rule book again. But generally, I've got it there as a resource. Um, I remember a number of years back getting um, Arkham Horror 2nd Edition and I played that a few times in a relatively short period of time but that unfortunately was at the period where Fantasy Flight had fairly unfathomable rule books and it was always a case of no, we're keeping the book handy because frankly we just don't understand it. So it did take us several times with the rule book with plenty of referencing before we could actually get that down to a penetrable game anyhow. So, yeah, there's some games that you're never going to get to the stage where you don't need a rule book, I think. Yeah. So I, I haven't play, I picked up one of their board games for a while. I've I've been a bit on a uh, independent designer's bent for most of my uh, purchases of like I still pick up things like I said with photosynthesis and some others like Shakespeare. But so I spread myself over miniatures and board games and card games and independents that. I, I delve into so many different pies, I don't go deep into any of them. Uh, do you have your information there for your games and stuff so we can tell people? Go onto Kickstarter and search for Six Gun Showdown. You'll find it live now until I think it's the 4th or 5th of July. And 
You can also follow me on Twitter at Redwell Games or on Facebook at Redwell Games. Um, but yes, yeah, Six Gun Showdown is live on Kickstarter for the next 25, six days. Um, £40 up until about Wednesday and then it's £60 for the game. So it's not going to break your bank. We will uh, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we are Sheffield Board Gamers. Uh, we are available on Facebook. You can contact us that way. Uh, the forum is www.sheffieldboardgamers.com. Uh, you can email us, sheffieldboardgamers at gmail.com. And we would like your questions, uh, any comments that you want to send us, uh, send us a message. Uh, until next time, I've been Rick. Thank you to both Toms for joining us. And hopefully we'll speak to you next time. Bye for now. Bye.